Hey everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Williams. Joining me, of course, Tom Jackson and Joe Henderson. And gentlemen, uh, you know, I was just got off a phone call a few minutes ago with Sean Spicer and transition, uh, something they're learning about. Uh, clearly, there's a long learning curve for this group. Uh, I did get confirmation from Sean that uh, both Pam Bondi and Governor Rick Scott have been interviewed for positions. Uh, not any specific spots were named, but uh, Rick, I guess, is in the running for HHS while Ms. Bondi is probably looking at an AG position or something other than um, what she's doing right now in the state of Florida, although I don't think the governor's going to take anything. I think it's just more of a courtesy call, but what your thoughts be? Well, um, Joe, I, will not, I have a thought. Um, yeah, Rick Scott has repeatedly said he's not interested, which means, of course, he probably is. But, um, <laughs> the, um, you know, he, he's got his eye um, allegedly on the uh, U.S. Senate race in 2018. And, and maybe taking a, uh, some sort of cabinet-level post or something like that would not necessarily hurt that. But, um, you know, he's, he said what he said, and, and until he proves us otherwise, we, we have to believe him. Pam Bondi, Tom, she's going somewhere. AG certainly yeah. seems like uh, the logical landing spot. Um, but she's not going to be around here much longer. I, I think that's I think that's probably right. Um, I think that our Pam, who, who grew up in Temple Terrace, um, yep, uh, and uh, it was once upon a time very close with uh, another Pam, Pam Iorio, former mayor of Tampa. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that her, her her hat is set on uh, on Washington, some sort of uh, of high ranking. I, I'd be I'd be surprised if it were as high as AG itself. But then again, this is an unusual year, as we keep saying, and so we would shouldn't be shocked if that actually happens. I mean, she she came on board. She she dropped she dropped Jeb and moved straight to uh, Trump without ever moving through the, the Rubio camp. She was an early supporter of his. She was on board before the Florida primary. I think that that gets rewarded one way or the other, not to mention the uh, possible quid pro quo of a donation from his foundation to her PAC that was happening at the same time that she was said to be, or at least her, her office was said to be, mulling whether Florida should join the uh, the suit against Trump U. So all of that goes into the mix. And I, and I, as I say, I think he gets rewarded one way or the other. Um, a high ranking job within the, uh, within the justice department, whether it is the actual AG, that would be a, that would be a real vault. I'm not sure she gets there, but as, as, as far as Rick, Rick Scott is concerned, I mean, Joe, you're absolutely right that you do, that the sure sign that somebody is not really considering a job with with somebody is to say that that, that, that they're not interested, which is why all eyes are on uh, 
Jimbo at FSU because he won't disavow going to LSU. <laughs> right? There you go. Um, so, so, but you know, if if Scott's grand plan is to go from the governor's mansion into the U.S. Senate, then I don't see how he takes a cabinet level post with uh, with with Trump because he's got to he'll have to start campaigning within a year. I mean, he's already got a boatload of money left over from his last campaign, and his pack is flush with cash. So he has enough to, to ward off any sort of challenge in the Republican Party in Florida if he wants to go to the Senate. Um, but maybe, you know, who knows what he really wants? Who knows what he really wants? And if it's working for Trump, that might work to his long-term goal anyway. But I, I don't see how it goes from, from, again, from the cabinet to a race for the Senate because he will be facing charges that, well, you took this job just as a stepping stone and it looks ugly. Let me ask yeah, you guys well, a question in regard to Governor Scott and HHS. Isn't it a little odd that that um, that Rick Scott, who obviously was never convicted of any crime or wrongdoing, uh, with the you know the company that he ran, um, was it Columbia HCA? Is that what it was? The name? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And they had the record uh, amount of money paid out to HHS for Medicare and Medicaid fraud. So I think that there's a bitter irony there that Rick Scott would be considered for a cabinet post at HHS when the company he used to be involved with uh, paid them record billions of dollars in uh, in fines. But hey, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's a brave new world. Everything is upside down. Am I making too much of this or is it just uh, a little bit of a bitter yeah. irony here? It, there's, it's a tangled web they weave. Let's put it that way. Um, but what, what's interesting about the HHS thing is, I mean, Ben Carson allegedly rejected the offer to be the right. uh, HHS secretary, and the the whole we, we've all seen the news reports of conflict and. Some would call it turmoil within the uh, transition team for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, had some key people, you know, drop off. Um, you know, Rudy Giuliani was going to be uh, Secretary of State. Oh no, 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 wait a minute. Now it might be Nikki Haley. Uh, you know, it's it's like there's. It's clear to me that there's that there are two forces colliding in that room, and one of them is the look. We've got to get along here with Congress, and we need to be at least a little sane in our choices. Mm-hmm. And the other is is just blow it up. We're going to drain the swamp, baby, and and we're going to put in you know the flamethrowers and and Washington better put your helmet on because here we come. Um, going to be interesting to see who wins that. And there there appear to be like a, almost a certainty. Uh, Tom, wouldn't you say that there's going to be at least a mix of both, some normal people and some not so normal? As with as with any incoming administration, you get a certain amount of that. I would say that the Trump administration will probably come close to setting a record for <laughs> those sort of competing interests because, frankly, that's that's what the man ran on. And with Steve Bannon at his side, uh, and, and being given 
great praise from those who supported Trump for for guiding the strategy that that helped win the White House. Um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have an awful lot of of those folks who say, yeah, the American people, a, 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 at least half the voting public, think that Washington is getting everything wrong and it needs to be fixed and big time and uh, that it that it needs yeah it needs exploding and draining and and very and and other various violations of the culture there. I think you're going to have I, I'm what I'm hoping for and, I, and I've seen some some optimistic lurches uh, early on in in this besides besides the Bannon pick which you know if he had to have some role at all being being his being his Carl Rove. Uh, being uh, being his being his chief advisor is is as good a role as he could possibly have because he doesn't because he really won't be able to pull any sort of levers. I mean, uh, chief of staff he's a lever puller. Somebody in the cabinet those people have their hands on levers and will be be, be making things happen on a day to day basis. Uh, Bannon will merely be whispering in his ear, and from what I've read. Uh, Trump likes to have uh, competing voices talking to him. I mean, there's 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 a piece out uh, just just uh, in the d- past day or so about Bannon being all over Trump about there there are way too many Southeast Asians running companies in in Silicon Valley. Well, he's wrong about how many there are, but uh, Trump immediately pushed back on him. He says we can't we can't educate all these people from different countries and our top universities. And then send them home, never to be seen again. We got to keep smart people here. I think that that's you know that's that's a surprisingly legitimate and thoughtful answer to give. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that there are competing voices, but you got to have people who know how the levers work and the pulleys if you're going to get anything done. Well, according to Sean Spicer, they are going to start bringing rolling out. Uh, on a daily basis, tranches of jobs. Um, they only have 3,996 <laughs> left of jobs left to fill. Um, do you think that one of those jobs will go to Jared Kushner, Donald Trump's son-in-law? I, I think there's going to be him. a, I, I think there'll be a special carve out for him. I, I think that that it's been shown time and time again that uh, the Trump really does value his his son-in-law's input and his counsel. Um, whether it's an actual, I, I would be shocked if it's an actual cabinet position. But there's good. There, oh, I, no, I wasn't, I wasn't of, talking about yeah. cabinet. I was just talking about yeah. being uh, in the inner circle aspect of it. Whatever he will always be in the inner circle, I think. Mm-hmm. Whether it's official or not, he's going to be on the inner circle. Um, I, I I don't see how you get away from that. Well, and, and it, it was interesting. I think I saw. Uh, I think this is right. I saw a uh, news report of uh, of him um, having a, a walk along, if you will, with uh, President Obama's chief of staff. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, that 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 raised an eyebrow that they appeared cordial, but. Um, it was so, sort of like I almost wonder if if a guy like uh, that though would be better off with almost an 
unofficial role in in the uh, sort of the almost a, a kind of a whisperer in chief, if you will. But but you know, I think it would give him more freedom to to do the things he would he would want to do and that Donald Trump would want him to do if he didn't uh, necessarily have the responsibility of an official job. I don't know. Um, For those of you who watch West Wing yes. <laughs> in reruns, what I think he's going to get is what we like to call the Josh Lyman role, and that would be uh, basically the, a deputy to Ryan's deputy previous chief deputy of yeah. chief of staff. I yeah. think that's kind of yeah. like – a role that obviously it does you don't have to go through congressional uh hearings to get it's a wonderful opportunity for him to learn a great deal of how the 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 inner workings of the white house while at the same time being involved with policy with uh, president trump and with steve bannon and and ryan Sprevis. it's kind of like an opportunity for him to learn on the on the fly yeah, sort of making yeah. a, a junior partner sort of thing. I've got, yeah. I've just, I've got, I've got a technical question on that. Um, if apparently, apparently Trump wants uh, Kushner to have uh, some sort of clearance, whether it's top national secret or, security he, he wants, clearance. Yeah, yeah he, he wants he wants him to be able to sit in on these briefings. Right. He's he, he's got to have an official. Does he have to have an official role within the administration? Yes. To get that yeah. clearance. See, yeah. Okay. So, so that's why that's so, why I was yeah. saying deputy yeah. chief of staff to me makes sense because yeah he gets full he gets full on uh, opportunities to serve the administration in in a way that kind of fits his skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, can we back up to Rick Scott for just a second? I had forgotten. Oh, I got no problem with that. Go ahead. In, in the in the course of, in the course of uh, the conversation here, I I had I had plum forgotten that Rick Scott um, went toe to toe with the HHS office uh, earlier this year over the Zika yeah. virus funding mm-hmm. in Florida, and it was not uh, not a pleasant. Um, exchange, if you will, and mm-hmm. so he he may have set his jaw after that and gone, all right. How do you like me now? I'm your boss, and uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> that now the Rick Scott that we know he that at the end of the day that may appeal to him more than the whole uh, running for office thing again. Although he he you know he's a he's a He's a tough guy to to figure out, and uh, yeah. Well, let's let's. I I think I think you're onto something, Joe. I I think that the guy likes being a CEO. I think that he likes being able to tell people what to do, and in in Florida, he is that guy. In the Senate, he would be one of a hundred who would have to be dealing with Chuck Schumer and and Mitch McConnell and a whole lot of other people. Giving him the runaround and and frustrating his efforts to make to make changes that he would want. I mean, in that in that situation, moving to a cabinet position where again he's got his hands on the levers and the pulleys, um, and and as you say, I I I think that you are I think that's Joe. You've hit on something that is bordering on genius. How do you like me now? Uh, <laughs> well, I, well, 
and, and, and there's a certain logic to it for state Republicans as well, because Republicans, let's, let's face it, uh, in Florida right now have a pretty deep bench. And, yeah. and in a couple of years when, when Governor Scott, uh, if, if he serves out his full term, um, there's a kind of a shortage of chairs uh, in the game of musical chairs for all of the, the qualified Republicans to land in. So by removing himself from that mix, and I'm not suggesting that the governor has uh, th that kind of uh, thought process on this, but it would probably go over pretty well with state Republicans because they'd go, oh boy, now maybe we can run Jeff Atwater for Senate or you know, Will Weatherford or whoever. Um, yeah. And, and uh, because you know there that, that the Republicans, that is, that Bill Nelson uh, better, better buckle up because they're going to be coming after him uh, with everything they've got in 2018. Yeah, they're they're going to come at it. They have never gone at him with a name brand before. And, right. and they're going to be going with whoever winds up being the challenger will be off the top shelf, whether it's Atwater. Yes. And, um, will, will Weatherford has said that he will be deciding in the next 45 days what his plans are, whether he's going to the, – the official release was whether he's going to be running for governor, but I think it, all, it, it encompasses if he doesn't run for governor, what's he going to run for? Because I don't think that he can, can stay on the sidelines any longer than, eight, than 2018 if he, wants to remain, if he wants to remain viable as a, as a Florida politician. So what's what's going to happen in the next 45 days? Well, we're going to find out who's on the cabinet for 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 incoming President Trump. And and again, Joe, you're right. If if that cabinet includes the sitting governor, then boy, does that scramble things. That really, I mean, I, I would think that then people get out of the way of uh, of Adam Putnam and say, yeah, you've been grooming yourself for governor of Florida. Let's go. Let's go figure out what we're going to do with the Senate. I think uh, I think uh, you're absolutely right uh, about Putnam, uh, Tom, because uh, he, you know, that's going to be a dandy scrap though for governor. And don't underestimate the Democrats in this one. Gwen Graham could be uh, a formidable candidate, and you know the attorney John Morgan, Morgan and Morgan for the people. Um, if he really is serious about this, you know, people might laugh and go, oh, you know great that's just what we need but the uh you know the outsider businessman uh, model kind of worked for the current governor that we have and you know donald trump has has shown that you don't have to be part of the system to run the system and so i guess what i'm saying is that um adam putnam will not have a coronation or whoever the republicans uh, ultimately nominate uh, will not have a coronation um they're going to have a fight on their hands, I believe. I really do. Agreed, agreed. Especially if it's especially if it's Graham, uh, because she is popular in the Panhandle, uh, where most where most Democrats are not, and uh, so and she will have natural appeal in Democratic rich Southeast Florida. Uh, that could be that could be a tilting. Ba I mean, Adam will dominate. I would guess central Florida because that's where his roots are um, and all, all the way up to Jacksonville. But a Democrat who can put the panhandle in play, that becomes a real interesting race. Mm -hmm. 
It really does. And with Gwen Graham's name recognition and John Morgan's yeah. name recognition, um, that's something that Democrats have struggled with uh, in recent elections. Now, Charlie Crist had name recognition, but that kind of worked against him uh, when he ran against Rick he Scott. He had the wrong kind. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I think I still think Alex Sink would have been a fine governor, but she wasn't a very good campaigner. And yeah. so the the Democrats are on a pretty long losing streak now uh, when it comes to uh, gubernatorial elections dating all the way back to Jeb Bush. And, um, you know, these things do go in cycles. So next couple of years, I mean, the, the game's afoot now, let's face it. And, and Tom, you're absolutely right. When the, once Rick Scott makes his play, you know, that's when the dominoes start falling in, in the state of Florida. Yeah, and you you have named two absolutely eminently qualified, well, possibly two eminently qualified candidates for Dem- for for governor from the Democratic side. Are you are you all all of a sudden? I mean, you just this morning wrote about Bob Buckhorn. Are you already throwing the mayor under the under the bus? No, no, I'm I'm not. But in okay. fact, I think he I think he would be a terrific governor, um, and, and just you know. Uh, I, I like what he's done in Tampa. He people forget how he reached across the aisle uh, back when the Republican National Convention came to Tampa uh, in 2012, and and he's he is he may detest Rick Scott on a on certain level, but he has tried to work with the with the Republican governor of the state of Florida. Bob Buckhorn would be terrific, but I just don't know on a statewide level if he can compete with the other two and. I did slip that line into the column as well. Uh, I don't necessarily like his chances, but if he were nominated, um, he would be formidable. Um, uh, if he could get his story out about what's happened in Tampa. Um, yeah. You know, but, you know, as I also noted, uh, uh, in, in the four gubernatorial races in this century, dating back to 2002, the Democrat at the top of the ticket has been either from Hillsborough County or the Tampa Bay area. And every time they got smoked. So, you know, I think, uh, I think the statewide democratic leaders are going to look at that and go, yeah, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to try something else. St. Pete. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that, they tried that with Charlie Chris. I, I know I'm work. kidding. Uh, uh, but well, it works partly anyway. Um, so, uh, one of the other things we're, I was thinking of, guys, that bears some consideration, and that is, you know, what happens or what do you expect will happen now that President elect Trump, once he gets into office, what happens to the deal between the United States and Cuba? Because right now, Tourism is starting to ramp up. There's been construction and engineering uh, opportunities that are about to get uh, pushed into the forefront, as well as agricultural situations. So does Trump become the dealer in this case, or does Trump become the crusher in this case? I'm going with dealer. I'm going with dealer because – because I mean what what does the guy build? He builds resorts. He builds high-rises. He builds – he, he builds places that that provide jobs and opportunity, and uh, I mean it's 
I have I have seriously mixed feelings about our dealings with Cuba as long as the Castros are are in command and they have groomed their offspring to take over as soon as the as the senior partners die off. So that's that regime is unlikely to change anytime soon. But and I'm I'm kind of coming around to Joe's point of view that we've been doing this thing for 60 years where we isolated and it didn't really change the nature of Cuba all that much, and the rest of the world is doing business with them. Um, I, it seems to me, yeah, reluctantly, I'm coming around to the point of view that um, you gotta you gotta do business with them, and and doing business with them will ultimately break the grip of 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 the Castro regime. And I and I think with with Trump there. I mean, the guy loves a hard hat scene, and you, you you can't do much better than hard hats in Cuba. Well, it, it, New York Times had a story just a couple of days ago on this very subject, and um, the uh, interesting thing what Trump has said is he's left he's he's left himself an escape route, and he said that. Um, he accused the President Obama of, of signing a weak agreement with Cuba. And his, his quote in the, in the Times was, we get nothing, the people of Cuba get nothing. I would do whatever is necessary to get a good agreement. Okay, there you go. Um, you know, in, in his way of thinking, a good agreement might be one more concession. You know, it'll be like... Um, the Trump Plaza in Havana? Yeah, something like that. And you know, it, I don't this is this is one of those things where uh, as you noted, uh, air service, commercial air service is beginning to Cuba. Tourism is spiking. You know, the these wheels are in motion. And you can't just slam on the brakes on that without serious repercussions. And I think the the hardline Republicans on this issue, including Marco Rubio, are going to find that the leader of their Republican Party is probably closer to the uh, President Obama view on this issue than than their view. I would be shocked uh, if he if he totally abrogates this agreement. You know, Tom, I I'm not uh, insensitive to. You know what goes on in Cuba and the and the the rights violations and such, but it's not like we stay out of China. No, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's I I think that that is the the opening to to China and the benefits that that has that have accrued uh, not just to the United States but to the world because of that. Um, but, I mean, it's still a, a, it's still an autocratic regime, but it's not sure. it, it's not a thugocracy anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And without that opening, um, I, who knows what sort of ch- mischief China would have gotten up to all these years? I mean, I, I still think that we have to be wary of of China without a without a, without the Trans Pacific Partnership, right? Uh, which which I thought at, I, I always thought. Um, that that looked to me like a pretty good deal for the United States and that it inserted us 
as a partner with all of our natural allies around the Pacific Rim, and it sort of shunted China off to one side. And I, I, I'm, I'm concerned that that will be left on the dustbin of history. And if that happens, China is going to move aggressively with all those countries that, that, that were formerly wanting to deal with us. Um, but, but again, yeah, the, the opening to China had a moderating effect on the regime there. Uh, more Chinese are, are richer than they ever imagined. They have a, a burgeoning upper class, a burgeoning middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same sort of thing long term, I mean, it, it will be painful to, to, to the hardline uh, Cuban community and those of us who are staunch opponents of communism in any form mm-hmm. to stomach. But this is, this is sort of the pain that you go through to get the long-term gain of, of, of reducing the influence of tyranny in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, you know, Donald Trump knows JetBlue and United Airlines, <laughs> uh, Carnival Cruises, Mickey Harrison, God love you, Mickey. Um, all those guys are uh, not going to want to turn the keys to the Treasure House back. Yeah. No, and and it, the 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 one thing that always gets left out of a discussion with um, Cuba is that we're out there by ourselves on this. Okay, mm-hmm. um, everybody else has, has long since said, "Yeah, okay, we'll 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 deal with Cuba," uh, and that. You know, we're up there with our arms folded going, oh, no, no, we're not going to do this as long as the Castros are in power. Let me stipulate. The Castros are bad dudes, okay? Mm-hmm. They're, they're Nobody's going to argue that. Nobody's going to argue that. But you don't attach a stipulation that they suddenly uh, adopt, you know, the, the U.S. form of government. Jefferson you, you know, democracy. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. So who gets screwed in the deal? The Cuban people. And that's mm-hmm. who we really need to be caring about. Absolutely. So I'm glad that we're opening it up. I think it should have happened long ago. And, I, you know, the interesting thing, too, about Trump, because you asked, would Trump undo this agreement? Trump, think back on all of the, the times in the campaign. And, Tom, you triggered my my thought on this with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, okay? We're going to renegotiate all these. We're going to do this. We're going to do that with all these agreements. And Iran, the nuclear deal, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to come away with a better deal. Okay. So he, he begins to open up talks toward renegotiating some of these deals. And undoubtedly, he will have some successes, okay? Then all of a sudden, he has got, a, a the bully pulpit to stand up and say, look what I did. I cleaned up that mess and got us a much better trade agreement on this and a weapons deal on that and so on and so forth. When in reality, I don't think those deals are going to change that much. But perception is would be the key. And Trump, as the master negotiator, will be, uh, in essence, negotiating with the American people to say, all right, you know, I clean. I told you I was going to clean up this mess, and that's just what I did. When in, it may not really change all that much. 
What about the infrastructure deal, guys? We're talking estimated $7 trillion to get it done. That's not necessarily, Tom, something that the Republicans are keen on, but how do they stop President Trump from from pursuing it? They don't write in the budget that includes $7 trillion. Uh, I, I think that there's an appetite in the country for infrastructure spending. Uh-huh. Um, and how they and, – and I would expect that new infrastructure spending will be written into any GOP budget that comes down from Capitol Hill. Uh, but and it'll – even even as even as it was rolling out post election, people like Stephen Moore were saying, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. A minute. We're not talking about a trillion new dollars because at the time it was a trillion, a trillion new dollars in government spending. An awful lot of this will be public-private partnership. Uh, it, will, it will extend over ten to twenty years. So we're not talking about a trillion-dollar outlay uh, year one." Uh, that seems to me like more reasonable heads beginning to to, to address this, um, and, and and but but yeah, I, I, it, President Trump is gonna is gonna push for again lots of new hard hat areas in the United States. Uh, we found out the hard way that, that shovel ready jobs are not necessarily in the that easy to identify and get started on. Although I, I've seen in uh, just in in Pasco County, just north of us here in the Tampa Bay area, uh, where when you put in a when you put in a new tax mechanism, like they did the penny for Pasco, as as Pinellas did years ago with penny, penny for Pinellas, an awful lot of projects that were supposed to happen five, ten, fifteen years down the road get shoved ahead several years. So it's it's a good chance that we'll we'll see some of that. But seven trillion dollars? No, we are deeply in debt. We cannot go another seven trillion dollars in debt. Thank you. Well, it's not my money, but well, part of it is. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> now, well, that's the problem. We all think it's not our money. Here, hold on, cowboy. Let me let me let me just ask about this. You say the American people have an appetite for infrastructure improvements, and I would agree with that. However. President Obama was excoriated in uh, in 2009 when, as part of the uh, his stimulus package, was uh, 831 billion, not trillion, billion, and it was designed to uh, address a lot of infrastructure needs, among other things, and it was desperately needed. So. Why would why would that be a horrible fraudulent waste of money when now it's like well yeah so yeah, maybe not seven billion but we could we could use some uh, some upgrades what's the deal here? Well the the, the only mm-hmm. deal is the uh, the political reality is the only deal is who's talking about it and it's the, the yep. it's the geo it's the incoming GOP president elect um, <clears throat> and and. And what also what also is important about this is that eight years ago, the people voting for the sort of infrastructure spending that that won the presidency was was supported by voters in the Midwest, and those same voters in the Midwest, I think, have 
looked at the lack of infrastructure spending, and they saw that Trump was talking about doing more twice as much as as uh, Secretary Clinton, and they said, "We'll go with that guy." I mean, the the Midwest's mood on on infrastructure spending has not changed. Um, it's just they they aligned themselves with the one that they thought was more likely to get it done. Uh, is it a waste of money? I don't think it's a waste of money. Anytime you invest in the underpinnings of your economy through roads and airports and and, and those sorts of things, uh, Stephen Moore is saying infrastructure spending will include new battleships and aircraft carriers. I'm not sure how that will if that computes yeah. necessarily. But if you but if you but if you hire a whole up if you hire a bunch of idle welders and otherwise shipbuilders, well, they might think that this is infrastructure spending that just that suits them just fine. Uh, but but again, I, I I'm 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 old enough to to remember when yeah that was that was rejected by conservatives who said you're going to blow a hole in in uh, in our budget and our you're going to skyrocket the deficit and right now we're saying yeah maybe it's not such a bad idea but a hundred billion a year for ten years is a whole lot different than eight hundred billion in one year. Well, uh, on, on moving this conversation ahead, I don't really see how uh, the, the incoming president and uh, Congress can't begin to seriously address some of the, uh, the structural issues out there in America. Do you, there was a story earlier this year um, that nearly 10% of the nation's bridges it was close to 60,000 bridges yeah, are structurally deficient mm -hmm. and, and have to be repaired. Now, all you need is to have a few bridges start falling into the, uh, to the rivers and you're going to have a, which we've already seen a couple of them in, in recent right. years. Um, and, and all of a sudden there's going to be this hue and cry in the land. Why didn't we address this? Because Congress has never had the will to say, we got to keep, you know, we got to keep these things up. And, there's a lot more uh, car traffic out there over these over these uh, bridges and 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 highways. Tom, you mentioned the Midwest, and you know, being a, a child of Ohio, I go up there uh, from time to time, and I can tell you, they need some help on their on their road on the the, the areas around Cincinnati are. Sometimes I think I'm driving through a, a sinkhole in, in the road. The, the potholes are so deep, and the 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 look of the roads up there hasn't changed all that much since I used to live there. And that was that was a fur piece back. So yes, we we have to address infrastructure. I'm actually glad to hear Donald Trump talking about it, and uh, it's going to put people back to work. I think. And if they don't siphon off too much of it to go build aircraft carriers, I think it'll have a, a positive impact on the country. You're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast. That was Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, and myself, Jim Williams. Um, Tom, I need you to help me here, if you can. I'll do what I can. I you always do, and I appreciate that. I have a number of women who are good friends of mine who are absolutely scared to death about what happens to women's reproductive rights, what happens to women's health, all of those 
specific situations that they think may very well go away now that uh, President-elect Trump and more to the point his vice president in Mike Pence has not necessarily been their friend in, over the long term. Yes, your question would be – My question would be there, should are, they are, continue are to be that... afraid or – are we going to see a more moderated situation through Pence and uh, and uh, players in elect Trump? Well, let's 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 look at Mike Pence's history. I mean, once upon a time he was he was the originator of the uh, Republican Study Group, uh, which was an extremely conservative uh, a group of uh, Republican congressmen on the House. Uh, in the House way before the Tea Party came along, right. and they shared many of the Tea Party points of view. But look what he did last year um, when he was being considered one of the one of the front runners for for the nomination for president. In fact, when he did a complete reversal after the after the Indiana legislature passed its uh, passed its bill to protect people from uh, to protect uh, pastors and, and bakers and photographers and, and people who would be affected by – by um, uh, That was the LGBTQ community. Right, right. It was called the Religious uh, Freedom Law. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The, the Religious Freedom Law, which was not a whole lot different from, from the Re- Religious Freedom Act that Congress had considered years ago, I guess, freedom, uh, the uh, religious – the um, Marriage Freedom, Marriage Protection Act, anyway. Um, and the legislature passed a fairly reasonable but hard-nosed uh, protection for the affected uh, businessmen. And and um, as soon as there was an uprising against that, and it was, it was loud and vociferous, then um, Governor Pence absolutely abandoned his previous position. Uh, and... and Initiator a, a rewrite and took the teeth out of it. So I think that that was an indication of how sensitive Pence, in particular, is to the concerns of communities that would be affected by uh, by these proposals that conservatives would like, in their heart of hearts, to see enacted straight away. I think that by and large, uh, the the points of view of of Trump on on uh, on life, on, on life in the womb, which he has only recently come to, and uh, and Pence's overall view of uh, society issues are mostly caricatures of the positions that they really have. I would Roe v. Wade is not going to be overturned tomorrow, and if a rewrite or repeal and replace of Obamacare means that women go back to buying. Uh, IUDs or uh, not IUDs, contraceptives, contraceptives over the counter, rather than having it included in uh, health insurance that we all all have to pay for, um, then that's that's a small price to pay for getting more reasonable health care. But I, I I don't think that we are talking about an an instant overturning of Roe v. Wade. That's just I don't think that the the cases out there for the for the court to consider right now. Let me tell one so other quick to, thing to your point. I'm they, sorry, Joe. They need to 
They need to watch and be wary. Yeah, I just one of the things um, to that point is a lot of people forget that the Supreme Court is basically whoever the chief justice of the Supreme Court is. And I don't think, and they like legacies as well, I don't think Chief Justice Roberts in any way, shape, or form is going to let Roe get overturned. Well, he has certainly been uh, at times on these issues a a disappointment to some of the hardline conservatives. Wouldn't you say that, Tom? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that. he has shown a reluctance to leave an imprint on uh, on established law or established uh, well-established precedent. And and yeah, it, it, I think it's important to bring up something else here. Um, not for nothing, uh, Jim. <laughs> yes. Is that um, thank you, Coach? There you go. Is that uh, Donald Trump is going to be the president, and he had a majority in the Electoral College. But more people voted against him than voted for him, and which means that he may think he has a mandate, uh, but what he really has is control. And if he wants to consider that a mandate to go chopping away at uh, on these kinds of issues, uh, I think uh, not only president president to be Trump, but uh, the GOP establishment will be somewhat surprised at the pushback they get um, because, uh, you know, this this country is divided basically right down the middle. And, um, you know, you're, we're going to have to figure out ways to, uh, to get along. And, and one way to do that is to stop messing with women's health issues. And, you know, once you begin to... Sub- to, to get some of those fears that you alluded to maybe subsiding a little bit, like, okay, maybe he's not going to be as crazy as I was afraid he was going to be. Then maybe we can begin to moderate a little bit and, and move forward uh, in areas where we do have some commonality. Should be an interesting situation to be sure. I always have had one theory in that regard. And is, that is if you don't have a vagina, you don't have a vote. Well, it it always strikes me, and and I've 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 ragged my good friend Tom here about this from time to time, is that Republicans claim to be the party of freedom, and they're all for freedom as long as they can tell you what to do in the bedroom, and you know you can't have it both ways. You either are for freedom or you're just uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing on that. So. Okay, that is an unfair characterization of where conservatives <laughs> are on this. Uh, as, as I didn't say anything. I just before. said if you didn't have a vagina, you shouldn't vote. That's all. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. Conservatives, conservatives do not care what you do in your bedroom. That is beyond what we care about. What we care about is the institutions that are designed to support the, success, the, the successful functioning of, of society long term, and I, I, I think that we have strayed into the area of gay marriage and that sort of thing. And I, you know what, my point of view on this is is ever shifting, but I I want to know from from my liberal friends 
that if it's if if the definition of marriage no longer is one man and one woman, which is what supports the continuation of society in in a in a reasonably organized and and predictable fashion, uh, but now it is now it's any two people in a loving relationship, then why just two? Why can't we have three in a loving relationship? Why can't we have five in a, in a loving relationship? If if it's not the business of government to be involved in uh, in marriage, or we need to keep our noses out of what people do in their bedrooms, then polygamy also has to be something that we are going to be okay with. Um, and, and, and then to shift to uh, to do discussion of whether you're pro-life or pro-choice or pro-abortion, whatever. Our complaint is not conservative. Complaint is not about a woman having a choice. It is the voiceless human being at the center of the uh, abortion debate that is at the mercy of powerful people saying, "Yeah, you don't have a life. You don't have a right to life because of where you are located." At the time that we decide to end your life, if you're inside the womb, as as Hillary Clinton said during the campaign, then your then constitutional rights do not extend to you, and that means whether you have one day past conception or one day before natural birth. Uh, our concern is, does that whatever it is within the womb qualify as a human being, and if so, at what point? Do we put do it? Do we give it civil rights? At one point, do we say the Declaration of Independence applies life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? That's what we're saying. We're not saying woman don't have a choice. We're saying what is the nature of the 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 whatever that is in the womb? And once we can decide about that, then we can decide about whether abortion is okay. Tom, well, let's let, let, let me let me jump in. Um, Tom, you have made a perfectly lucid and valid argument. Mm -hmm. If everyone was as circumspect as you, but they are not. And I would say that once you begin chipping away at Roe v. Wade, then you end up, uh, as we did with uh, President uh, George W. Bush, where you say, well, we've got these stem cells here and uh, cord blood that is going to be, uh, you know, disposed of as medical waste, but we're not going to let you harvest those cells that might help, I don't know, cure Alzheimer's disease, something like that, because, well, you know, that might be life. And at some point, the extremes on both sides of this issue keep us from getting the kind of progress we need. I'll I'll be I'll be blunt. I don't like abortion. As a Christian, that makes me queasy. Uh, I'm not comfortable with the notion that, uh, as Tom said, we end the life of a defenseless person. But when the mother's life is at risk, and you've got some hardliners on the right going, well, too bad, so sad, you know. We're going to protect that baby. Yeah, and I would be a lot more, and I'm going to elevate the conversation here, and we probably need to retreat quickly for time purposes. But yeah, the the right is all about, oh, we're going to protect the unborn, but as soon as they're born, they're on their own. 
So, you know, let's if if we're gonna if we're gonna go there, then I think it takes a fundamental reshaping of society and uh, um, about what our values are. Um, I'm, I'm climbing off my soapbox now. You know, Tom. And I will and I will ret- and I will respond to your idea that we that the right says, okay, now you're on your own in a future podcast because this will take hours. Right. I, just, I figured just, it would. Yeah, just to follow up real quick, and that is that the, you, your explanation, Tom, was very eloquent, as Joe said, and very it made a great deal of sense. But here's where I have a – I can't square this, and that is in the state of Florida under Governor Scott, they were legislating, you know, what in essence was a hospital-esque type situation uh, to kind of legislate clinics totally out of business. And and I thought that, you know, not only was it terrible, it also was literally taking away from women who could not get to a hospital or couldn't, you know, felt more comfortable going to these clinics. And I just thought that was, you know, disingenuous to say that we're helping when, in fact, that was not what they were doing. Well, that that may very well be true. I think that that's the clearly the uh, the impetus for wanting to have clinics that had hospital-like facilities was a response to, or as was a probably an opportunistic response to what happened in the Gosnell clinics up in Philadelphia, which was mm-hmm. that was that was that was terrible in the extreme in the opposite direction. There, right. were, there seemed to be absolutely no uh, uh, clinical precautions for the women who were using those facilities, and it was I I, I, I don't disagree that that was that was a a conservative Republican legislature's response that they that they thought they might be able to, to make stand up in court uh, to make these facilities uh, have to achieve a higher level of, uh, of uh, hospital-like quality and have the each doctor have admitting um, privileges at nearby hospitals um, I don't I don't disagree that that was an attempt at a state level, and it has been done in several states, to to undo Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the state court has 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 weighed in and put those and put those on hold. Those are going to have to be probably rewritten in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's uh, there has but the unraveling of Roe v. Wade may be we may be on the threshold of that. It's an interesting thing. Well, one one last thing, guys. I know we got to get going here. And this shocking news um, is that Bernie Sanders, that's right, feel the burn, is not going to be a Democrat. He's going to remain a Republican. And uh, that was announced earlier this morning. He had no intention of changing his party affiliation from independent uh to Democrat, he moved it back from Democrat to Independent. So, feel the burn, Bernie. Thanks very much for your time. You know, see you next time. So, final thoughts on Bernie Sanders or anything you wish, guys, on your social media. Joe, I'll let you go first. Well, um, 
I'm still going to just be watching for the white puff of smoke on Rick Scott and Pam Bondi. That that's what I'm most curious about, and uh, a little encouraged by the talk of uh, Nikki Haley, maybe as Secretary of State, mostly because she isn't Rudy Giuliani. And um, but I'm going to keeping close eye on the cabinet. So you can uh, find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa, T-A-M-P-A, or you can find me on Facebook at Joe Henderson, commentary, columns, and such. And now to our truly Jack Kemp-esque conservative, Tom Jackson, <laughs> final thoughts I, and, I, and social media. Along Along, along with Joe, I will be watching to see how the cabinet rollout happens. I think that that will be an early clue about uh, about how Donald Trump will go about his business as president. But I am I, I got to say, at the end of the day, uh, boy, I hate that phrase. Uh, ultimately, I am pleased. I am pleased that a guy is coming into the White House who will be willing to sign such things that have been sitting on Republican shelves for a long time, like tax reform and EPA reform and regulation reform, uh, I, I, the, uh, the nation was going to be at loggerheads uh, if we had a Republican Congress and Hillary Clinton as president. I think we've got an opportunity to see real progress in the first 100 days of a Trump presidency, but I'm, I'm, I'm knocking wood on that because I'm not convinced it'll happen, but I'm, but I'm hopeful. I am hopeful. My uh, social media contacts, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, at Tom Jackson, journalist, entrepreneur. Follow me on Twitter at Thomas Jacks Tampa. That's T H O M A S J A X Tampa. Ah, well, we've come to an end of yet another politically incorrect podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we had fun entertaining you and hopefully informing you. I'm Jim Williams, your host, along with Tom Jackson and Joe Henderson, saying have a wonderful and safe weekend.